Let's join Pastor Randy as he ministers from the topic. Look at how Jesus responds to us. Say a word. My mother was a pastor for over 30 years, so I knew right from wrong I was brought up to serve God, but I chose to go my own way, and I suffered terrible for it. But I thank God that I've had a road to Damascus experience, and I've rededicated my life and my heart to God so that God's will can be done in my life. My name is Brother Randy Lightfoot. Join me as I share the Word of God. My topic today, it's called sort of a different type of a topic, but this is what I got out of this text that, that God gave me. It's a look at how Jesus responds to us. Say a word. Say a word. Praise the Lord. And I want to highlight in this text the reality of how God sees all of our different circumstances that we face. And in this account in Luke, that, that Luke highlights, I want us to see how Jesus reacts and responds to our condition, whatever that condition is. I'm going to lay out four conditions and show you how in Scripture Jesus responded to it and remind you that Jesus is still the same today. Whatever circumstance you might fall in, in these four different responses, Jesus still responds that way today. Praise the Lord. Let's look at Luke chapter 7, and I want to read verses 1 to 7, and then Psalms 107. Praise the Lord. Here beginneth the reading of the word of God. Now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum, and a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he had heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly saying that he was worthy to for whom he should do this. For he loved our nation, and he had built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say a word, and my servant shall be healed. Mercy. Say a word. Psalms 107, verses 19 to 21, verse 19. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Praise the Lord. May God add a blessing to the reading of his holy word. I have two points that I want to use to, to highlight these responses that Jesus shares in Luke chapter these are some outstanding responses that Luke has put together. And I want us to see how Jesus reacts to these different types of circumstances. Um, point one is Jesus responds to faith and despair. Point number two, Jesus responds to doubt and love. Doesn't really seem like much, but when you see these four circumstances unfold. You're going to see the human part of it. And you're going to see 
yourself in these circumstances and you'll see a loving savior that is able to respond to whatever your circumstance might be. Let's look at point number one. Point number one, Jesus responds to faith and the spirit. I want to read Luke, go back to Luke um, 7, but I'm going to read from verses 6 to 10 to give you some more insight into this circumstance. It says, then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. But I, I love this saying right here. But say in a word, <laughs> but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servants, do this, and he doeth. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found a servant who that had been sick. Mercy. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. It reminds us, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Praise the Lord. I want to highlight that your faith, your genuine faith, will get God's attention. When you have that genuine faith, you automatically get God's attention. This scripture highlights and uses the word that Jesus marveled. Jesus marveled. What does I, you know, what does that really mean when we think about it in terms of what Jesus view of this centurion really was? Jesus goes on to, to say that I have not found faith like this in all of Israel. Those of us that know this story know that this is an outstanding situation because this centurion guy is a Roman. He's not a Jew. He's the oppressor. But yet he is able to send Jewish leaders to Jesus to persuade Jesus to come and to heal one of his servants that he had a special love for. Jesus decides to go in to see what needs to be done concerning this centurion servant. But he is stopped when it's almost at the house by the centurion sending more people to Jesus to intercept Jesus and to say, just say a word. I know that you can do it. I'm a person that's under authority. And the authority I have is to say to this soul to do this and you do it and this servant to do that and that servant's going to do it. But you are also one of authority. And what it's saying is you all got the authority to tell the sickness to leave. Y'all got the authority to send sickness on its way, to send whatever's afflicting anybody. Jesus has the authority. This centurion at the insight way back down to understand the authority that Jesus had. And he says, Psalms 107. Psalms 107 says, God sends his word. He sends his word to those that are in distress, to those that are facing problems. He sends his word. The centurion says, Lord, just say a word. Say a word and my servant will be healed. Jesus Response to that is to heal this servant from where 
the centurion had Sanders to stop him. In that presence, in that moment, where he was geographically, he stopped. He turned back to continue his normal day stop. And he stood on the word of the centurion and just sent a word and healed that centurion servant. Scripture goes on to say that those that were initially sent by the centurion who were traveling with Jesus, when they were stopped, they continue later on to the house. And when they get to the house, they find the centurion's servant healed. This is how Jesus responds to faith. Your faith automatically gets Jesus' attention. Yes, this was some you know, special circumstances because Jewish leaders didn't like Romans, much less soldiers, to be going and delivering messages for a centurion was something out of the blue. It was something abnormal because Jewish leaders didn't do that. Pharisees and these guys didn't do this type of stuff. But he, he, this centurion had a special relationship with them and that though he was an oppressor, he loved them so much. So scripture goes on to say that he built a synagogue for them there. So they knew that this guy was a special person. But what makes him outstanding, what causes Jesus to marvel is the level of faith this centurion had that wasn't a Jew, that was not brought up knowing about Moses and Abraham or even David. He wasn't brought up this way. This was a Gentile. But he learned enough about Jesus. Scripture says that when he heard that Jesus was near, he sent them. His faith, his genuine faith, is what causes Jesus to react to the extent that Jesus just sends a word. He just says the word, it's done. And they find him, they find this servant completely healed. I want you to know today that Jesus still responds. Hebrews 11 and 6 says that without this faith, without the type of faith that this centurion displayed, we today cannot please God. It pleases God when we operate from a position of faith in no matter what our circumstances are. This centurion sets the example for us. And it shows you how it will cause Jesus to react in whatever your circumstance is in your life. So whatever you're facing today, whatever your situation is, stand on faith. Stand on the position that all Jesus needs to do is say a word. Find the word in the Bible and stand on it. And you will see God move. You will see the response of Jesus in your life. Let's look at Luke 7 again. Father 1 and verse 12 to 15. We're going to look at the spirit. This is another different set of circumstances. Scripture goes on to say that it was the next day. Verse 12 says, Now when he, Jesus, came nigh to, to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carrying out the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not, stop crying. And he came and he touched the burial. And they that bear him stood still. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. Say a word. I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. Mercy. Isaiah 53 and verse 4, it says, surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, 
smitten of God and afflicted. I said all that to set up the reality of this situation. Sometimes your despairing circumstances causes Jesus to respond immediately. This situation here, let's put it in its proper context. This scripture said that as he was just entering into the city, the next day, he meets up into a funeral that is in place. It says that many people of the city was with this woman that was a widow. Listen to what's being said. She's a woman. She's a widow. And her only son has just died. So any and every type of support that she would have had, her husband is there. The main supplier of support for her is passed. She's a widow. Scripture goes on to say that she's in this situation right now. Her only son, that nine out of ten was providing for her, also is there. And they're taking him to be buried. Scripture says that Jesus saw her circumstances. She didn't cry out to Jesus. I want you to pick up how Jesus responds. She's not cried out for help. Jesus, as I said in Isaiah, being one that's acquainted with grief and sorrow, he understands that. Jesus could identify with this son. Two sons met up at the gate. One son was destined to die. And Jesus knew that this son, her, was dead, but he was destined to live. This is how they meet. Jesus sees their circumstances. And he has compassion on her. This is something that we sort of take for granted because we sort of have the ability in our mind to, to say that we can identify when we see somebody in a sad circumstance. What the scripture is showing is how Jesus identified this woman's sorrow so much to the extent that it stopped him in his track. And he says, listen, stop crying. Don't cry. I'm going to fix your situation. I see your situation. I know your situation. And there are times God will move on our behalf about a situation we don't even fully understand is happening to us. But because God knows our circumstances, Jesus knew this woman's circumstances. This woman had probably had no idea how she's going to deal with next week or next month, much less next year. Without a husband and her only son now there, Jesus saw the despair in this situation. And because scripture and Isaiah says that he is acquainted with grief, he identifies with it. He automatically felt this woman's pain and he says to her, stop crying. I'm going to fix this. Stop crying. In a moment, Jesus breaks every type of Jewish custom in that he reaches and touches what's called unclean. This casket that is carrying a dead son. And then Jesus says a word. He speaks a word. Only done was send a word to this young man. I need you to try to get a better grasp of reality of life in the form of death. We have very limited understanding of what happens when we reach the point or when God says, your time is up and you no longer can exist in this dimension. What happens is you are declared dead. Your physical body remains in this place. 
But who you are is no longer there. Who you are can no longer communicate with your husband, your child, your family. We have a limited understanding of where they go to. We see some of it in the in the account of the rich man and the poor man, Lazarus, that dies. And we learn about Abraham's bosom. But one of the things you do know is that even though we are absent from our physical body, we are in a place that we are still fully conscious. And in this young man's dead state that sets up a despairing circumstances for his mother, he is fully alive. He can hear. Jesus just says a word. He says, young man, come. Young man, come. And I say this so that we understand that our Lord and Savior can call us. He can reach us wherever we are at. And in this circumstance where this person is dead, is completely dead, they are buried him and they're taking him now to the place where they're going to put him on the ground. And Jesus puts his hand on that coffin and says, young man, come out. This is the Lord and Savior we hear. He done it not because her faith was so strong. Not because she prayed for it. She accepted her despairing circumstances. But this is the compassion of a Lord and Savior we have that is constantly looking out for us. And in that compassion, Jesus stops them. Knowing that he is destined as a son to die, he brings this dead son back to life. And tells him, come. He just says a word. Stuff come. This is what God can do. Even when we have taken out of this dimension, wherever he was, wherever this young man was, I would love to have had a conversation with him. When once he came back to find out where he had been for how, how many hours or whatever he had been dead. And out of this dimension, we see that Jesus just says, come. This is the compassion that our Lord still has for us. So no matter what you're facing in your life, you must know that Jesus has that compassion. His first response when he sees this woman and knows her circumstances, stop crying, stop crying. I'm going to fix it. This is a loving God. This is a loving Savior. And then he just says, come, come young man, come back here. This is the authority that Jesus has. The centurion talked about Jesus' authority. He said, just say a word. Jesus shows the authority he has by saying a word to this young man and tell him, come. He's doing it based on compassion. He's doing it based on a Lord and Savior that can identify with whatever your circumstances is. God is aware of it. And it touches him and it causes him to respond. Let's look at point number two. Point number two deals with these last two responses of Jesus. Jesus responds to doubt and to love. Let's look at Luke chapter 7 again. And verses 18 to 22 and then 27, 28. And the disciples of John showed him of all these things. This is when I say all these things here. Remember the context of what we just dealt with. We dealt with in the beginning of this chapter, the centurion servant being healed. The next day, Jesus gets to the gate of the city and he finds this funeral taking place where this woman's only son has died. And then he raises this son from the dead. Now, this is a continuation on. It says, and the disciples of John showed him of all those things. And John calling unto him, two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are thou he that should come, or look we for another? When the men were come unto Jesus, they said, John Baptist has sent us unto thee, saying, Are thou he that should come, or look we for another? This is giving you an example of the doubt 
that's generating in sort of John's mind. Verse two, uh, 21 says, and in the same hour, he, Jesus, cured many of their infirmities. Look what's being explained here. And plagues and, and, and of evil spirits. And unto many that were blind, he gave sight. In this, they listen to what was said here. These guys are coming and ask Jesus to stop. And in the presence of them being there, in that same hour, Jesus done this. He cured many of their infirmities and plagues and evil spirits. And unto many that were blind, he gave, he gave them sight. Then Jesus answers, answering said unto them, go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. <laughs> to the poor, the gospel is being preached. Praise the Lord. Let's look at um, 27 and 28. This is he. This is Jesus talking now. He sent those guys. Just now he sent the disciples back to John with that message. Now he's talking about John. He says, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet. That's a big statement there. We know some great prophets out there. Moses, huh? Samuel, we know Jeremiah, Isaiah, we know some great prophets. There is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But listen to this. But he that is least, in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Praise the Lord. Let me read Acts chapter 2. In um, Acts 2, verse 12, uh, this is after the Pentecostal experience, okay? And, and the speaking in tongues has happened. And scripture goes on to say, and they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? They didn't understand that they see these people running up and down, talking like that. Uh, have crazy and, and or like have drunk. So people starting to doubt what's going on. I'm setting that up just to show you that doubt comes. As a child of God, doubt comes in our head. There are circumstances that can cause us to start to doubt what's going on. Doubt is, is, is coming sometimes, but Jesus always fixes this doubt and this anxiety that can come upon us. What was seen here? is Jesus doing all these miracles. Luke is saying that John the Baptist, who is in jail at this time, that's what we understand as well. John the Baptist is in jail. He sends two of his disciples to Jesus. His met Jesus, his dealt with Jesus, but part of John's main message was that the Messiah was come. And we know now through experience and, and, and the revelation of God's word that it wasn't to happen the way that most of the Jews expected to happen in the sense that the Messiah was to come. But they didn't pick up on the part that the Messiah, what Daniel talks about, the Messiah being cut off. After certain days, he gets the Messiah gets cut off and he goes and then he comes back. So John the Baptist is looking for the Messiah to fulfill what was prophesied. John the Baptist was the forerunner. He was the Elijah that was supposed to come and to speak about Jesus. And was to, in verse 27, I read, Jesus said, this is he who is the messenger who is to come before me. So what's happening? This is... Jesus revealing who John the Baptist was. So John the Baptist knew that he was to set up for the Messiah to come. But what John the Baptist didn't fully understand was how it's to play out. He thought it was going to be a continuation of Jesus being revealed as the Messiah and then Jesus being set up as the um, king of Israel and to sit on David's throne and stuff. He knew these prophecies. So he's expecting them to happen. So he sends his disciples to, to Jesus because he said, listen, none of this ain't happening yet. I keep hearing about these, these miracles and these things that are happening, but I don't see the restoration of Israel. I'm locked up in a jail, you know, 
what's really going on? Those of us that study it, you will find that John the Baptist preached for about a year about Jesus. He also preached about Herod. And what Herod was doing, that preaching gets him locked up. And if you study, you'll find that he spent two years in jail before his head was cut open. So you can understand why he's got a little doubt. He's still hearing about Jesus doing miracles, but he does not see the completion of what he envisioned the Messiah to do. So he asks him, what Jesus does is so beautiful. Jesus, it tells you, first of all, that in that same hour that they came to check Jesus, that Jesus healed those that were sick, that had plagues, that, that was many that was blind. He cast out demons. He done all this stuff. These disciples see this, and then they ask Jesus what John the Baptist was talking about. Are you really the Messiah? Jesus responds by giving him different chapters of Isaiah. Isaiah 61, Isaiah 26, Isaiah 29, Isaiah 35. All of those different chapters talk about what the Messiah would do, which was healing the sick, raising the dead, opening the eyes of the blind, fixing the infirmities, and casting out demons. Those Prophecies of the Messiah are in Isaiah. Jesus tells the disciples of John, go back and tell John what you see being fulfilled. So what Jesus responds to doubt is to give the word. He gave John the Baptist's servants the word of God. You're asking, am I the Messiah? What I'm giving you is what the Messiah was supposed to do when he came. And he gave him Isaiah 61, 29, 26, and 35, which talked about the different things the Messiah would do. So this is your answer to doubt. Whenever we deal with doubt, we need the word of God to be our answer. So he gives John the word of God that is being fulfilled in his life in his everyday life, what they experienced within that one hour period that they were there were all fulfillments of Isaiah, of what the Messiah would do. Big lesson in it. God doesn't take away your circumstances. He gives you his word to hold on to in the midst of it. He didn't take John out of his present condition. He just reminded him of the truth of God's word and to hold on to that truth. Hold on to what Isaiah said the Messiah would do and what you see being done. The blind is being able to see. The sick are being healed. Plagues are being healed. Demons are being cast out. This was prophesied. Whenever we face doubt in our walk with God, our answer has to be found in the word of God. And that's what God gave to John the Baptist, in his condition, in his locked up in a dungeon, way out in a desert type of area, he was in a dungeon. He's looking for some relief. Jesus said, hold on to what the word says. Hold on to what the, the word says, I am. And then he reminds them, after he sends the, the disciples out, he reminds those that were there about who John really is and how special John was. Many of them loved John, of the Jews, loved him, and, and were baptized under his baptism. Scripture goes on to, to show that the Pharisees didn't like him because they never took his baptism of repenting. They were already super saved. They were already super spiritual. So they didn't listen to what John had to say. John is seen as a mighty man of God. But Jesus gives another lesson and an insight to show that there is no prophet greater than John the Baptist. That's a big statement when you go back in history and learn of all his Ezekiel and Daniel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Elijah and Moses. What? 
all these great prophets. None of them is greater than John the Baptist. But Jesus says all that to say that anybody that from after John the Baptist accepts me as their Lord and Savior is greater than John. The person that does it, who is considered the least of the believers, is greater than John the Baptist because of the fact of your faith is being based on the finished work of the cross. John the Baptist was just leading you to understand that Jesus was coming to do this work. But once the work is done by Jesus and you believed in the finished work of Jesus, no matter how least you're considered in this Christian kingdom, you're greater than John because John never got that opportunity. John never got the opportunity to have his sins dealt with on Calvary. Praise the Lord. This is how Jesus deals with and dealt with doubt. He didn't take John out of his circumstances. Keep that in mind. He gave him the word of God to stand on in the midst of the circumstances. Let's look at my last point, which is love. And I want this one here to highlight this one because I believe this is the, the greatest of the four responses of Jesus. I believe this one to be the greatest and the most important. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, and then John 9. It starts out with uh, verse 36, and one of the Pharisees decided him, remember the context of this, this is all in the seventh chapter of, of Luke, okay? Now, this is, this is later on, this is what happens after Jesus has spoken to them concerning John the Baptist. It says, and one of the Pharisees decided him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. Um, and just so that we're clear, this is not Mary Magdalene. This is not the other Mary that, that washes feet. This is a completely different woman altogether. So we don't get confused there. Verse 38 says, And she stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears. And she did wipe them with the hairs of her head and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself saying, hmm, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touched him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. Verse 41, Jesus says, There was a certain creditor which had two dactyls. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. Just so we understand, one pence was basically a day's wage. So the guy that owed 50 pence was like a month and a half, 50 days worth of wages. Okay, 550. Two, two different guys that earned money. Verse 42 says, and when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, Jesus says, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, well, I suppose that he to whom he forgave the most, whoever had the biggest debt. And he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to to, to the woman and said unto Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her hair. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came into Ian, had not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. 
And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Whoa, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy, thy faith hath said thee, Go in peace. Let's look at John chapter 9. It says, And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I am coming to the world that they will see, not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. That context there on John 9 is talking about the time when the, the young man who was born blind gets healed. And that's him who, in the beginning, he starts, to, he says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped Jesus. That's the guy that was born blind, and later on, he gets persecuted because he speaks about what Jesus done in his life. And these Pharisees were one of the people that was speaking against Jesus because he healed them on a Sabbath. The point in that one was that Jesus said that he came so that the blind would be able to see and those that, are, those that could see wouldn't be able to see. The Pharisees said, well, Lord, are you saying that we are blind? And Jesus reveals to them that you say that you not got no sin. You can see. So you don't see no sin in you. And if that's the way you are, then you are blind. Praise the Lord. This context here asks the question, how much do you love? And how much do you see? Because these guys that are looked upon as living right and morally accepted, this guy Simon, who asks Jesus to come into his house, looks down even at Jesus when he sees Jesus allowing this woman to wash his feet with her tears, to kiss his feet, to express all this love. He looks and judges this woman and says what type of woman she is. Jesus even goes on to say later on that this woman's sins, which are many, are forgiven her because of the love that she has for Jesus. Because of the repentant spirit she has. Jesus uses the story of the two doctors to reveal the fact that both of them get forgiven of their debts. But who do you think really loves the most? Simon rightly says that the person who's got the most debt, who's got the biggest debt, the person who's got the most sin, this woman's sin, Jesus said, which are many, are forgiven because she loves much. And then he ran on to describe our Jewish custom. We might miss it because we're not Jewish, but all the things he you saw this woman doing was what normally would happen if you went to a Jewish house. Remember the circumstances. The first thing they would want to do was wash their feet because of their shoe situation. They always got dust and stuff on their feet. So they would give them something to wash their feet. Jesus said, since I'm bitter, you never gave me nothing to wash my feet. She washed my feet. She kissed me since I'm bitter. You didn't greet me to the house with a kiss. She's kissed me ever since she's been here. It's love. And he's showing what, what he's not got, what he's missing. But her, knowing her present condition, she realized who Jesus was and was sick of herself. Genuinely repentant with a real love. And this is what gets Jesus' attention. And this is how Jesus responds. Hey, your sins, which are many, are forgiven. They were all amazed at what he done for the centurion and healing his servant. They was even more amazed beyond measure what he done 
by raising this day oppression. They probably didn't get the full grasp of helping John to understand his doubtful situation. But when they saw him and heard him say, thy sins are forgiven, they say, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Only God can forgive sins. And that was a way of Jesus revealing that he is God. Because only God can forgive sins. Jesus will respond to any genuine person's love for him. Anyone's genuine desire to change their way. It don't matter how much you have sinned. It don't matter how much you look down upon and thought of as nothing. This woman in society, in those circumstances, was considered an outcast. Those Pharisees, for whatever reasons, knew that this woman was worthless in their eyes. She had a bad reputation. So much so that they said, well, if Jesus is really this, this great prophetess up there, he should know who's touching him. But what they didn't realize was that Jesus knew exactly who was touching him. And that's what makes the difference. We touch Jesus every time we move from a position of genuineness. It was real love. It was a real desire for this woman to change from her bad base. She saw how lost she was. She realized that she needed Jesus. And she cried and wiped his feet with them tears. She anointed his body. She kissed and kissed and kissed. This is all expressions of genuine love. When you're genuine in your response to Jesus, he knows about it. And he will move on your part. He knows where you're at. Nothing you've done is a surprise to him. God only knows this woman's sins. Jesus just uses the term many. Y'all got many sins, but all of them are forgiven because I see your genuine love. And Jesus responds to her and says, listen, your sins, which are many, are forgiven because you love much. I say to you today, this is the greatest of all the miracles that Jesus done. Okay, the saving of this woman, this woman from her sins, and they are being making into a new person. This is the greatest of all those miracles. Yeah, say a word, and I'll heal your servant. Say a word and bring this dead son back from wherever that place is that hurls those dead spirits and bring him back. And he sat up and he talked to let you know that he was really back. Doubting. And getting the word of God to give us that confidence in our time of doubt. It's nothing like being changed when you have Jesus in your life. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you realize that no matter what I've done before, no matter how bad I have been, Jesus has forgiven me. I might not have been the 50 pence. I was probably the 500. And Jesus simply forgave me. And is still doing that today. This is my cry to you. That Jesus knows whatever your situation is. And he will respond. As long as it's from a position of faith and genuineness. God responds. That woman that lost her only son. That despairing circumstances. Jesus reacts to it. Jesus knows whatever your circumstances is. This woman that knew she had no self-worth in that community sat quietly at Jesus' feet and watched him and kissed him and just wanted to be a part of Jesus. She had some real love there, and it caused Jesus to look away from all those who was thought of highly in society and to see this woman's state and to move and to say that your sins no matter how many they are, I forgive you because you love much. Jesus will respond to a genuine heart. Whatever your circumstances is today, know that we serve a Lord and Savior that is acquainted with our griefs, that responds to our faith, that will help us when we start to doubt, that will heal us from all our sins if we confess. 
This is the message that God has given to me today. Psalms 107 says that God sends his word out. He sends his word out. He still sends it out today. I pray that as the word is going out today, that it will touch you, strengthen you as a child of God. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is an opportunity for you today. I want to take this time right now as I finish this message to give an opportunity to anyone that does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who finds themselves like this woman. She wasn't invited to Simon's house, so that we occur. Simon would have had his way. He would have threw this woman out of his house. But she rent for Jesus and ran straight to his feet. I say to you today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is your opportunity to sit at his feet and to accept him as your Lord and Savior. And if this is what you would like to do, I pray that you would repeat these words after me as I say the sinner's prayer with you. Father God, I realize that I am a sinner. God, I realize that I need you in my life. Lord, I realize that you died and that you rose again so that I can have forgiveness of my sins. God, I repent of all and any sins that I have done. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Come into my heart and heal me. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for healing me, God. Thank you for saving my life. If that's been your prayer, I pray that you would reach out to us, numbers that will come up on the screen later, and that you will let us know so that we can be of a continued encouragement in your life. Anyone that does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, please remember these words. Jesus loves you. He is there. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you happiness. If you have wandered away from Jesus, this is an opportunity for you now also to rededicate your life to God. Just confess your sins. Jesus is faithful and just and will cleanse you as you rededicate your life to God. But this is what God has laid on my heart, and I pray that someone is encouraged, someone is that much more motivated as they realized, even as John realized when he was still in the dungeon, that Jesus is in control. I may not know why everything is happening my way or this way, but Jesus is in control. His word is being carried out. So be encouraged today by these beautiful responses of Jesus as we realize we have a Lord and Savior that loves us dearly. Praise the Lord, everyone. <laughs>